Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist with interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. I'm very delighted to have you on today's show. Thank you so much for taking the time. And today's show is about artificial intelligence in global medicine and in underserved countries. And this really actually came because I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw some of the folks that I follow on that medium uh, somewhere in the mountains of Nepal, and they were doing x-rays and machines and trying to diagnose patients with various diseases. And we take things for granted here. We take things for granted in the uh, US in terms of diagnostic studies and the available diagnostic studies that allow us to do a lot of things. But many countries are under-resourced, they're underserved. And they don't have the same technology that we have. And they do have to operate despite these uh, these few resources that they actually have. So I reached out to these colleagues and asked that we really need to talk about what they actually are doing. Uh, uh, Sorab uh, Jeha, who is a radiologist at the University of Pennsylvania in the city of Philadelphia, and Prashant Warrior, who is the CEO of a company called Kura. It's an artificial intelligence company. They were on that trip to Nepal, and they joined me on today's podcast. I really wanted to know what je- what led to this trip and what their observations are. But the larger theme of this is, uh, you know, the application of artificial intelligence in under-resourced countries. Where is the sign? Where is the biggest return on investment? And how can we really make sure patients have access as much as possible to things that they and indeed uh, require? You don't want to miss this show. And in fact, if you are already dialing to this podcast, you are not missing this show. So I don't know why I'm saying this. But um, anyway, I really appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you letting me know about uh, um, uh, about any feedback. If you are an avid listener, uh, you can get the Healthcare Unfiltered Podcast t-shirt. You do need to tweet it and you need to reach out to me and ask for the podcast t-shirt. And I will gladly mail that to you. Thank you for your loyalty. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate the show. You can watch all of these podcast episodes on my Healthcare Unfiltered YouTube channel, which is Shadi Nabhan on Healthcare Unfiltered. You can follow me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan or on Instagram, Shadi underscore Healthcare Unfiltered. Don't forget to visit my website, www.shadinabhan.com. And without further ado, artificial intelligence in global markets today. On healthcare on culture. So, Sarat, we'll start with you. You're in the great state of Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit about you. And um, uh, I understand that one of your claims of fame is you're the first Indian general radiologist, something like that. Thank you, Charlie, for uh, having us. Yeah, I'm a uh, radiologist from Philadelphia. And as you know, we decided not to elect Dr. Oz. So we're all about, you know, real allopathic treatment, not homeopathic treatment. So I, uh, amongst other things, I am a global radiology enthusiast and also a um, person who writes about many things, including artificial intelligence. It's great to see you and I love the political twist right there. Uh, Prashant? 
Hi, uh, hi, Chari. Great to uh, uh, be here and thanks for inviting me uh, to talk about our journey uh, to the Mount Everest Base Camp. Uh, my name is Prashant Warrior. Uh, I am co-founder and CEO of Cure.ai. Uh, we are a six-year-old um, AI in radiology company focused on interpreting uh, X-rays, I mean chest X-rays and musculoskeletal X-rays, uh, NCTs, chest CTs, head CTs um, using AI. Uh, we have FDA, CE cleared products, we're cleared in about close to uh, 90 countries. And we are today deployed in about 70 countries uh, in about close to maybe around 1,000 hospitals um, across the world, across the 70 countries. And uh, on an annual basis, we probably process upwards of about um, 5 million scans. So that is where we are. And we, again, I mean, we started out of India. Now we have entities in uh, US and UK. I'm currently in London. Uh, but again, uh, fairly global in terms of our go-to-market and reach. Prashant, just, I just want to hone just a little bit on this before we get into this, because obviously, you know, for folks who are listening, you threw a lot of information in, in, in one minute. When you say AI focus on interpreting scans, are we getting rid of Sarab or are we just enhancing his ability to interpret scans? Like what's, what do you mean by that? No, no. So only enhancing, only augmenting that you have right? Uh, but you know, like, I mean, I think what we'll talk about today uh, is in places like Nepal or places like rural parts of India, uh, lots of Africa, Southeast Asia, there are no radiologists available to read the scans. So we are actually augmenting a physician there, a general practitioner who's uh, forced to read that scan. Sometimes even a uh, not even a general practitioner could be a healthcare worker uh, who is doing that. So uh, again, I mean, that augmentation becomes uh, a lot more valuable in that kind of a scenario where uh, you don't have a trained radiologist available. And uh, in many places, for example, especially for tuberculosis screening, which is uh, TB is still very, tuberculosis is still very prevalent in, most of the developing countries, uh, there's still more than 10 million people who suffer from TB every year. Uh, India is the largest, uh, has the largest burden of TB. And for that particular uh, capability detecting TB on a chest X-ray, we actually got a WHO um, uh, recommendation where they said that AI can be used autonomously as a replacement to a human reader. So that is one place which we have seen that you can autonomously uh, report scans. And that is mainly because the places where we are reading those scans are basically uh, there is no radiologist available. I mean, it, it just that's amazing. And then the company is privately held at the present time. It's privately held, yeah. Privately held. So, Rob, how did you get to meet um, Prashant and and get to know about his work? Was that through um, your British connections, Indian connections, or radiology connections, or all of the above? Yeah. First, I do know, Charlie. You're very keen to have me. I mean, what do you think I'll be doing if I'm not reading scans? You should be worried. I'm actually, no, I was very nervous. I wanted yeah. to make sure. I, I, I was extremely terrified <laughs> of the idea yeah, that you have, allowing me you, you having more else. free time on your hand is really dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, actually I met Prashant through, um, believe it or not, Twitter. So as, as, um, as we've come to dislike this medium, it does open channels. And I found their um, TV platform quite intriguing because uh, TV is something that's uh, a very intriguing disease. You know, you, it's been around for a while, it's killed loads of people, but we still haven't managed to get rid of it, um, despite all the efforts. And there are uh, reasons for that. One of the big reasons being that um, uh, you, in order to get rid of it, you need to diagnose it. 
And you, in order to diagnose it, you need to diagnose latent TB, which was initially done with x-rays. And then for some reason, the WHO said, oh, you know, you radiologists, you're disagreeing with each other with a huge interobserver variability, and they uh, stuck to sputum. And then they realized that people don't like producing sputum. Sputum is not something that you want to cough up that easily. So they went back to x-rays. Then, you know, we faced a different problem. You had the x-rays, but who's going to read them? So it's very intriguing that the um, AI ended up providing this public health solution. And it's intriguing at multiple levels. I mean, there's, of course, the, uh, the greater good element of it. But when AI first came out, when we first came into our conscience, it was around 2014, 2015, when Jeffrey Hinton famously said that it would replace uh, radiologists, so there was no point training radiologists. And Vinod Kostla speculated that it would replace 80% of doctors. So there was a lot of money from uh, Silicon Valley and uh, venture capitalism in this space. Yet, what's ironic is that it's the public health, it's the infectious disease, it's all these organizations like uh, USAID and Gates Foundation and the drive to eradicate TB that has led to the development of AI. So I don't know if Prashant would agree, but uh, it would be fair to say that your company has gr grown more from the needs of the poor to the um, whims of the rich. Would that be correct? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I'll also give um, our storyline there, right? I mean, when we started, we thought our markets would be US, UK, Europe, um, and these are the markets where we would find more usage of our solution because, again, those are the markets where you adopt newer technologies, adopt the uh, cutting edge technologies. But when we started working on, I mean, go to market, when we started going to customers with our solution, we found that the biggest opportunities, in fact, I mean, when we met the, uh, the health secretary of India, who was basically one level below the health minister of India, he said that you should basically look at TB because this is a massive problem for India. And if you can solve anything on that, that could be extremely, extremely valuable. And it's sort of, I mean, we never, I mean, when we started for the first time, we started in 2016, for the first one and a half, two years, we never thought that that would be a market that we'd cater to. But then we realized that there is a massive opportunity because, see, I mean, the quality of care, I mean, in UK or US um, or continental Europe is pretty good. And you have radiologists for reading scans. You are able to get scans interpreted on time. Again, there could be a lot of improvement there, but still there is there is that quality radiology um, available, available in these countries versus uh, a country like, let's say, uh, countries in Africa or, let's say, uh, Indonesia, India, Vietnam, and so on, where you don't have in India, it's very hard to find a radiologist in uh, some of the smaller towns. I mean, India has like, what, maybe 12,000, 13,000 radiologists uh, for a population of 1.3 billion people. Uh, US has one-fourth of our population. You have got I think about 40, 50,000 radiologists. I, 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 I am intrigued by the statistics of TB, actually. I did not know that this is how common it is still in 2022, 2023. But Prashant, were you able to generate data that you published that demonstrate that your solutions have, A, improved the diagnosis, and uh, B, maybe improved the outcomes? Absolutely. So I think we have shown that we are able to improve many things. I, I'll, I'll talk about some of the different things, right? One is that the basic baseline study, which shows that you are compared to a human reader and you are better than a human reader at identifying TB on a chest X-ray. 
see again tb is not a tb is a diagnosis in many ways right it's not a finding i mean what you're looking for is consolidations cavities some nodules nodular patterns and those and i'm not a radiologist myself i'm just i just learned all these things i'm a data scientist but you have got all these patterns on the x-ray and based upon that you are creating an inference of tb right and a lot of radiologists may not even be trained enough to understand what tb looks like on a chest x-ray especially because it's not so prevalent in many places right so uh, one thing we showed that we are actually typically better than human readers at detecting tb on a chest x-ray and this is study studies conducted by any uh, a lot of folks from stop tb partnership which is a geneva based organization funded by the un uh, to mcgill university which is one of the top uh, infectious disease organizations infectious infectious disease universities in the uh, in the world so all of these guys have done studies which show that um, our technology is better uh, than human readers number one number two i think the most important thing is that it's significantly faster because one of our customers first customer uh, at cure first paying customer at cure uh, was this mobile uh, van screening program in philippines and so they used to take a mobile van which has an x-ray unit inside the van and they used to start from manila and they used to go around uh, travel around philippines screening people on a daily basis so every day they might screen about 200 people and they had uh, four such vans so they had four vans and they don't have obviously they don't have a radiologist they don't even have a doctor in the van right so what used to happen is they used to travel around for a couple of weeks and the x-rays used to come back to manila they used to consolidate all of them and then send it to a radiologist for interpretation all that took about 3 4 weeks sometimes 5 weeks and you're talking about a patient who got an x-ray for tb getting an interpretation 4 5 weeks from when they took that x-ray and with our technology they were able to make that happen within minutes at that time now it is within seconds we can do it actually within 10 seconds so within 10 seconds as soon as the x-ray is taken within 10 seconds we, we can say there is a risk of tb and x-ray is not a confirmatory diagnostics for diagnostic for tb you're basically going to do a a sputum test what uh, sarab said right that it's basically uh, what is called either a gene expert or a mall bio there are multiple companies which manufacture those tests but you basically do a sputum test so now what we can do is you can rather than waiting 4 5 weeks you are able to now do that test at that point of care right then and that radically changes uh, the diagnostic protocol because a lot of people fall off the radar i mean they don't yeah. come back yeah. and so that is the other improvement that we were able to see is that number of people who got diagnosed increased by 40% across multiple programs because they're able to diagnose them at the point of care so rob are there have you seen other applications outside of tb so far uh, uh, it seems like the tb story is pretty compelling and i believe you actually wrote a couple of blogs on this which i found very very informative a while back have you seen other applications outside of that well i think you know when when you think about ai um the an imaging the first thing that um you have to disabuse uh, the notion of is that it's somehow a first world technology i mean in many ways it is a technology that is the kind of you know these some product of all developed developed world technologies but its major use um is in areas where you where where you have constrained resources so to give you the example of the um Uh, of Everest, um, one particular diagnostic dilemma that their physicians or any healthcare providers face at, say, altitudes of seventeen thousand or eighteen thousand feet, is the um, distinction between pneumonia and um, uh, pulmonary edema. 
because of high altitude, you can get a condition called high altitude pulmonary edema. And because the air is thin and you get thick secretions, you can get what's known as the kumbu cough. Kumbu refers to the area there. And the, that, those secretions, as you know, can be nidus for infection. So, you know, when you have that kind of dilemma over here, which is also a diagnostic dilemma, um, I don't know, the last time you percussed, I don't think it's a terribly useful <laughs> um, clinical uh, distinction. I think Adam Sifu might disagree and get angry with me, but I, think, I do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here, what you do is you'd empirically treat them for both. You'd give them maybe a diuretic or a, or, mm -hmm. uh, or a calcium channel blocker and put them on a broad spectrum antibiotic. You can do that there as well, but there is one big distinction because anybody who has high altitude pulmonary edema will die if they don't descend. So there's nothing you can do at that level. You can give them oxygen to stabilize them, but ultimately they need to descend. Now that again seems to be a fairly, you know, okay, they descend. What's the big deal? You descend from 5,000 meters to, um, to 4,000 meters. Firstly, the, the distances are long. Sometimes high altitude pulmonary edema can strike at night, which makes the journey more difficult. But the last problem is, is a kind of a cultural slash economic problem. We think of health equity, but this is like pure application of health inequity. So um, one of the doctors from the um, Himalayan Rescue Association was saying that, you know, if, some, if he has a diagnostic dilemma between pneumonia, pneumonia and pulmonary edema, and the person is a tourist, a trekker from Europe or from uh, North America, he will have no qualms calling the helicopter rescue service to take them. Like, I'm not going to risk it. It's no, it's no big shit for this. But I mean, you know, in terms of the decision making is very simple. But if it's a Nepalese porter and you say you need to descend when it's just the Kumbu cough or pneumonia, then um, you're pretty much depriving them of their livelihood. And so what happens is they're more reluctant to make the diagnosis of high altitude pulmonary edema, HAPE, in the Nepalese porter. As a result, they do reduce the false positives, but they have some you know, pretty bad false negatives. Yeah. So a lot of the deaths in, in that group happens because somebody was being overcautious on the other extreme. And that is where an X-ray, something as simple as an X-ray that we kind of, you know, rubbish over here because it's done every six hours to see where the ng tube is is vital so then what's the role of ai well i think that when you're making such dramatic decisions and these are really high stake decisions these are not this is not the decision between should i send you home or should i send you to the observation unit this is should i screw your livelihood up or you know should i um keep you over here and uh, treat you empirically the AI assistance, and this is what we found, the AI assistance gives them that slight confidence edge that makes all the difference. So I would say that AI, I don't know commercially where it's most useful, but in terms of its actual, you know, its actual value, just pure value to people who treat people in extremists, it's in those places at altitudes of 17,000, 18,000 feet. 
That, that, that's really amazing in terms of trying to differentiate between two diagnoses, but one of them could screw your livelihood, like you said. That is a powerful statement. Let me step back. And how did this trip come about? I mean, I woke up one day and I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw pictures of you guys uh, on mountains. And, and aside from the beauty of these mountains, how did this come about? Why did you start in Nepal? versus some other country obviously and what was the purpose and how did you plan it it seems like there's so much you have to arrange and plan and all of these things who can take this on just explain to me like i'm a fourth grader i'll have to take this on but prashant can add because um, Go ahead. i the trip was done very impulsively we were on a zoom conversation in february um we were having tea we said uh, lads do you want to come over to um Everest Base Camp with me. I was already going there with my son, dad's son bonding trip. And I was going to visit some hospitals over there. I said, you know, you guys come along. And uh, the great thing about working with companies that don't have huge bureaucratic infrastructures is you can go to their CEO and say, you guys want to come along? And Prashant's like, yeah, yeah, we'll come along. <laughs> he just asked me, how fit do I need to be? I said, Prashant, if I can make it, you can make it. I'm pretty sure that you are fitter than me. So it was done very impulsively. And I think it was done with a purpose. Even though it was impulsive, it was done with a purpose. I think the idea was that the idea all of us had, um, Michael is not here from Minextra, but the idea all of us were, had was we want to show that it can be done, that you can take an X-ray to the frontiers of wilderness. Of My motivation was to make radiologists seem sexier and more relevant. I'm not sure about the more relevant bit, but I'm pretty sure that I made them seem sexier. For sure. No, no, for sure. Some of your Photoshop pictures were there. But, <laughs> but, 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 the, but the idea was, so the idea was you want to be able to, you were going to Nepal and you wanted to demonstrate that you can bring, you can do these x-rays fast enough, accurate enough to be able to differentiate between these two, these two major diagnoses. And also, you know, in further enough in the field. I mean, a lot of times the x-rays that, a lot of times what you see is that people concentrate on big cities like Kathmandu, which have the, you know, infrastructure. But can you push the boundaries? Can you go higher up? Can you go where things are sparser? And that was the idea. And uh, personally, I've um, hiked in Nepal and Tibet uh, a lot when I was in my youth and also more recently. So uh, for me, I've, uh, I, I really love the Sherpas and uh, the people out there. They're very nice people. And Prashant also agrees, some of the uh, kindest, most loyal people, these Sherpas. You just feel good helping them out. So Prashant, then you guys planned the trip. Before you went there, Do you did you map which clinics you're going to see, um, the doctors you're going to talk to, the hospitals, the <clears throat> like how or was it very spontaneous even there? Let's just go up there and just see the people. So I think, I think you know, I mean, one thing is that Saurabh did a lot of groundwork. He spoke to uh, several people, the Himalayan Rescue Association. Um, there is the uh, Mountain Medical Institute. Uh, many people that he already connected to, he was connected to a radiologist in, in Kathmandu, uh, one of the top radiologists in the country. He was connected to uh, him and uh, through him, he got access to a lot of people. So we had we had uh, access to a lot of radiologists and doctors uh, in the region, in the Kumbu region and, and in Nepal. But again, it was, you know, something where we also did not know how far we could make it. Would we make it all the way to the base camp? Could we make it to all the different hospitals on the on route to the base camp? So again, it was something that we took it on the fly. We said, okay, we'll start from Lukla. So we basically 
go to Kathmandu. From Kathmandu, you can either fly or take a helicopter to Lukla. And that is where you start walking towards the Everest and to, towards the Everest base camp. And it's about, if you want to walk up and down, it's about a 10-day trip. And we only had about, I think, maybe six days. So we walked up and we took a helicopter back down. Uh, but the reality is, I mean, you were sort of also, we were also thinking about how uh, we can go to all these places. We didn't even know what the facilities would be like. I mean, one of the things we realized when we went up there is that in this place called Namchi Bazaar, which is sort of the base camp to the base camp, which is uh, in between, halfway between uh, halfway between Lukla and the base camp. Uh, there is, I mean, there is a, uh, a hospital there, like a very small clinic there, but they don't have any uh, imaging facilities. They don't have a X-ray or a ultrasound or anything of that sort. We went to this place called Ferushe, which is uh, at an altitude about maybe about 4,000, um, 4,400 um, meters or so. And uh, there again, I mean, they have a, a small clinic and with a with one doctor um, and one paramedic, but uh, no no imaging facility. So uh, what we did actually is uh, that's where Michael comes in. He's not here today, but he uh, he's uh, uh, the uh, sales lead for this company called Main X-ray, and they have these backpack X-rays. So that was a 24 kilo X-ray which can fit into your backpack, and we didn't have to carry it. Fortunately, there was a porter who was uh, with us who was carrying. Uh, that x-ray machine but we took that x-ray machine and interestingly i mean we found so many things i mean we were able to in namchi bazaar we found this lady who had a uh they were not sure whether she had a fracture or not so because they could not image her and uh, we actually uh imaged we took the x-ray we found that it was not a fracture she had fallen down maybe about three days ago four days ago so she was in pain for last several days but uh, no diagnosis because I mean if she has to get diagnosed she has to walk all the way back to Lukla which is a one and a half two day walk so which she cannot do in that condition or she has to take a helicopter down which she cannot afford so it's almost I mean like with that imaging support that we provided we were able to help her get diagnosed at that point of time right we found one of our people who was carrying our, our bags I mean our porter uh, we found that he had uh, had TB in the past and we found that uh, there were signs of tuberculosis uh, heal tuberculosis, not not active tuberculosis, but heal tuberculosis um, on his X-ray. Uh, we found, I mean, Saurabh actually diagnosed somebody with um, high altitude pulmonary edema uh, at the hospital in Namchi Bazar. He met that patient. That was again a porter who actually uh, had climbed up very fast, and uh, he developed hip. And then we were able to image him, uh, get his X-ray, diagnose him. So it was uh, very very interesting because for that, I mean, that's a region of about maybe about three, three, 400 kilometers, um, pretty, pretty big area, right? And uh, you have maybe one or two doctors, obviously no radiologists, no imaging facilities. And, um, and only th the most important to understand is that you cannot take a car or anything down. I mean, the only way down is helicopter or walking. And helicopter is not affordable for most people um, of that region, I mean, of this course, is, the this like is really and... this is just um, just listening to this. Uh, a um, <laughs> makes you think how fortunate we are uh, where we are uh, right now. And B, I can't imagine how how they do what they do because one element is the diagnosis. So let's say, so Rob, you diagnose that lady with a fracture. Then what? I mean, how how she's gonna get? How can she get the helicopter? Who's going to do the surgery? Like, I think there's a, a trickle-down effect after the diagnosis that is still impossible to 
account for, no? Yeah, so the thing is that anybody that has something that requires surgical or high-level medical um, therapy needs to be taken away from the mountains to Kathmandu, which is the nearest place. And that uh, there are ways that they can do that. One of the ways is that there are a lot of helicopters coming in and out bringing supplies and taking the richer tourists away who can't be bothered to hike all the way down. So they've developed a scheme, a kind of a honor scheme, where if they have space, they'll take one sick person with them. There are also flights coming out of Lukla, which is the world's most dangerous airport, by the way. Um, why, is that? Why, why is it the most dangerous? Because it's, uh, <laughs> because it's all uh, it's all instrument. I mean, uh, and also it has a very short takeoff and landing stall. And apparently it's downward sloping. And if you miss time, then the only way is up. And that's up to heaven, that is. So it's a pretty dangerous uh, place. Um, and so that bit you can't avoid. But where imaging comes in is that you don't want somebody to be frivolously taken to Kathmandu if they don't need to be. So it's the reduction in false positives where I think right. it's most valuable. It's It doesn't solve the infrastructure issue. And in some ways it can't. I mean, you can't have neurosurgeons in Namchi Bazaar because you just don't have the economic model for that, at least not yet. Yes. What you can do is you can make sure that nobody gets transported to the neurosurgeon when they don't need to. And it's it's the it's the idea of medicine. Medicine in remote areas needs technology. I mean, that's the kind of irony of it all, that technology is most needed in the remotest areas. And I have to give credit, and I know uh, uh, he hasn't been doing a good job with Twitter, to Elon Musk. The reason why you can have this type of um, technology at in the Everest region is because of his um, uh, internet provision. I think, what is it called? Starlink or something like that. Yeah. So you've got this infrastructure that is that doesn't require buildings, that doesn't require a lot of human resources, that is absolutely vital for getting, um, for helping um, some access. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not going to be, you know, if you're, if you're at base camp and you've got um, a perf viscous that requires a laparotomy, you need to be evacuated. I mean, there's right, no heroic right, surgeon there. Right. The question is, you don't want to make that diagnosis right. incorrectly. Right. No, absolutely. I got that. I got that. And we can disagree on Musk. I think Musk is going to be great, actually, for Twitter and everything else. I'm on team Elon Musk, but we're not going to go there. But uh, Prashant, I, I'm trying to put my business hat. And in order for you to have a thriving company that makes money for your shareholders and for you and to be able to get all of the costs, you have to have a business model. And it can't be always charity. So is is your idea that you're going to be able to sell that technology to these poor areas? Because I can't imagine they can afford buying it. <laughs> so I'm struggling. With, you have a great technology. It's clearly working in certain areas. But if your business model is going to the poorest of the poor, you're not going to be able to make money. No, so several things there. Um, one is that uh, this is only one part of our portfolio. We have solutions for lung cancer. We do detect lung cancer early on chest X-rays. Uh, we have a chest CT product, which is again focused on lung cancer. We have an application full end-to-end -end, uh, uh, diagnostic workflow for lung cancer, which is again being used at the NHS. Uh, in fact, I mean, I have meetings with 
NHS uh, here right now in London uh, to discuss this, right? So this is being used by the NHS. It is being used by AstraZeneca for detecting lung cancer early because uh, again, getting patients towards therapy faster and sooner. And one of the ways to do that is by looking at the X-ray, which was taken for routine reasons. So you've got 1.3 billion chest X-rays taken every year around the world for routine reasons. And if you can identify an incidental nodule on that, and then we also actually classify that nodule with a malignancy risk, you can triage those patients and get them a CT. So that is what we're doing across the world now. We are working with AstraZeneca, we're working with NHS. We're starting to work with some US hospitals also on this. So lung cancer is an area that is a big focus for us uh, in some of the um, developed countries. Uh, stroke and trauma is a focus for us. If we look at head CTs, detect bleeds, infarcts, midline shifts, mass effects, many things on the uh, non-contrast head CT scan. So again, that is a uh, area triaging those critical findings is uh, another area for us. So, um, and then on chest X-rays, we do practically everything. So we, in fact, one of the things we do with many, many groups now is, especially teleradiology groups is, they read about anywhere between 1,000 to 10,000 X-rays per day. Uh, and what we are able to tell them is out of those, about 60-70% are normal X-rays, what are called unremarkable X-rays. And we are able to say that these are the unremarkable X-rays X-rays, and you may not necessarily need to spend that much time on these X-rays. You focus your time on what is the abnormal X-rays. So again, that's a use case for our product. Mm -hmm. So again, we are a fairly broad uh, portfolio company. The TB and some of these are um, unique, I mean, unique capabilities that we have. But again, I would also want to add that um, don't assume that these people don't have the money to pay. The reality is that people can pay and either they pay, sometimes there is developmental funding like Saurabh mentioned, USAID or a Gates Foundation um, or governments are interested in paying for this, right? Governments yeah, want to, deploy, yeah. yeah, they want to get care to the people who are voting for them, right? So there is, there is definitely interest in paying for this technology and uh, maybe the amount of payment might be lower than what you would expect in a US or UK, but uh, it's still good enough. And for a technology which is running automatically on a cloud um, service that uh, works out well for us. I mean, it's not that that is an unprofitable business for us. So Rob, what else did you notice on this trip? Uh, you know, uh, we talked about the pulmonary edema and the um, obviously the uh, pneumonia, which is a, a big deal. Um, you know, what else did you observe in terms of uh, during that trip as you saw patients? And uh, you said one of the things that you would love to see happen is show the importance of diagnostic radiology, even in these underserved uh, areas. Any observations? Broadly speaking, I think what the major observation was that um, if you lack um, lots and lots of diagnostic facilities, you end up creating clinicians that are very orthodox, um, old school, relying on HMP. And one of them was uh, this chap in uh, Namchi Bazaar. His name is Abhu Himari. And uh, young guy, and um, really very impressive guy. And he is the only doctor in Namchi Bazaar, and he doesn't have an X-ray. He has an ultrasound machine, but he told me that he doesn't know how to use it. And um, I, you know, ultrasound is another modality that can really help in that area. So what the, what has happened with this guy um, Abu Himre is that he has hypertrophied his clinical acumen. 
by virtue of the fact that he hasn't um, doesn't have any diagnostics except for basic blood tests. He's, he approaches things in a very pragmatic manner. And so he treats appendicitis with antibiotics using the, what I think is the Helsinki protocol or something like that, um, because he thinks that, um, you know, he thinks that it's not just my responsibility for the patient, it's my responsibility for the pilot that comes to rescue the patient. So the doctors there are phenomenal. Uh, a lot of them come out straight from their um, medical school. So what happens in a lot of medical schools in Nepal, if the education is free, they must do um, some time in rural areas uh, for about a year to 18 months. And these guys come in with a immense sense of pragmatism on how to deal with the stuff. So yeah, as much as diagnostic imaging is necessary in this part of the world, what is admirable, and particularly from for, for me, because I started my career not in radiology, in, um, in surgery, uh, and not with much diagnostics at my disposal either, is, the, uh, is, is their adaptability to that situation. And um, that uh, uh, seemed to be that, uh, one of the most uh, impressive things on the trip. It's really uh, fascinating to me, and I wanna, I wanna, Sarab, stay with you just a little bit because one of the things that um, um, intrigued me whenever I see something like this is uh, the training of future residents and students, and um, and you know you work in a, a in a center where you training is part of it and educating is part of it, and I think the current trainees um, don't really they're not really exposed to the to the ability to make these diag diagnoses and diagnostic uh, abilities in in a limited with limited information i mean they feel like they can sure get a pet scan get an echo get a blah blah and get five tests and then you know i mean uh, sometimes a monkey could make the diagnosis if you have all of these tests available do you how how do we do you feel that there is an opportunity to retrain some of our um, students and residents to uh, to be more astute and to go back to sometimes the chest X-ray and the stethoscope and things like that? I think it would be a good intellectual exercise. I, I, I think most people would argue that in the American system, it's almost pointless where the skill that you need over here is a different one altogether, where you have to manage multiple sources of information and distill an answer based on that. Um, instead of working in limited information, you now have too much information, and that too much information can lead to analysis by paralysis. So the and and to be fair, people like Dr. Obiu Himere in Namchi, they're rare even in uh, low middle income countries where there is a tendency to um, having imaging confirmation before they go for a laparotomy. I mean, I, from what I hear, that even in India and Nepal, people are reluctant to do appendicectomies without some form of imaging confirmation, sonographic or um, CT. So, uh, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's bucolic, it's impressive. Uh, I do think that if you are, uh, I, do, I do think that we need to create a field in radiology, a subfield that is, uh, where you learn to um, deal with constrained environments. But let me just bring one thing back. I think one of the things that um, people who haven't worked in constrained environments uh, don't, 
don't realize it's not so much that you become good with percussion. It's not so much that you suddenly, when you auscultate, you hear basal crepitations and the second splitting of the heart sound. It's that you know that you have to make a decision and you learn to make decisions. So this guy uh, in Namchi was making decisions and he was doing it rapidly. Like he was doing it within 20, 30 minutes. And he, I, I remember he had one patient who came in with um, what seemed to be a fairly um, classic case of um, disc protrusion, acute disc protrusion. He made that diagnosis with, within 30 seconds and he gave her a treatment plan. And, um, and I think that's where what imaging can have a positive and negative effect. Once you start having that reliance on imaging, which definitely helps, and I think it'll help in the net, you'll lose some of that decision-making, uh, um, you know, uh, decisiveness or other. Prashant, when you look at uh, the, the the globe, I guess, um, where what areas um, in the under-resourced countries uh, do you, 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 you would like to go outside of India and Nepal? That's one question. Mm. And then these countries are very uh, often <laughs> there there's some level of corruption we all know exists and politics interfere with everything um you have to deal with them sometimes to be able to get access to certain things do, you know how, how do you do that without losing your your mind yeah so one thing which i wanted to i mentioned this early we are in about 70 countries now actually more than 70 countries well, what do you mean by that we're in about 70 countries you we are deployed like... and used used actively in clinical care in 70 countries. in one hospital in one country or some some countries might have two three hospitals some countries will have 200 hospitals and um, how, how big is your company right now like how many people we have 200 people Seems like you need double that with that many countries. <laughs> so okay. It's an AI company. It's an AI. So we, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people we serve. It's all going to a server. Results are coming yeah, yeah. back. Yeah, no, I guess. Scalability, okay. right? So you said so 70 countries. That's amazing. Okay. So, uh, and these are, I mean, we are in maybe like 15 African countries. Uh, we are in practically all of South Asia and Southeast Asia, including Pakistan uh, and Bangladesh uh, and Nepal. Um, and of course, all of Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia, and we are, we are in tiny countries like uh, Papua New Guinea or Timor-Leste um, and Fiji and so on. So again, I mean, why we are there, I'll talk about why, how we get there is because there is a lot of philanthropic funding for TB and uh, we are able to work with the organizations that are creating those funding programs and work with them to get to those countries. So in that way, we are able to bypass some of the corruption because while you, you're right that it's, I mean, working with the government in any country, I mean, even developed countries is typically very difficult. It's a long process. Uh, and with, I mean, with again, with corruption, it becomes even harder, right? But what we are uh, able to do is working with uh, a lot of the NGOs um, and the philanthropic funding, we're able to get to uh, more locations easily with uh, with the support of those organizations. Yeah. So that is what we are doing. And um, again, our, our sort of, Go-to-market is fairly global. I mean, we've got people who are focused on the emerging markets, people are focused on Africa. Um, so we are also reaching out to uh, those countries. And every country, every one of these African countries, every one of the Southeast Asian countries will have a national TV program. So we uh, engage with them and work with them. The um, You mentioned, like, for example, the machine that was carried uh, up to the mountain 
um is the idea is to leave these machines there like is i mean and just train people to use the machines because they you still have to have the machine there that's going to help them interpretation are you making enough and you'd like to deploy those we would so i mean again we are not an x-ray machine manufacturer so um it is not yeah. our call yeah. to give it out uh michael from min x-ray min x-ray is the manufacturer yeah. but uh, we are looking at funding to uh, be able to grant out some machines to uh, that region, the Kumbu region. And uh, I mean, a machine costs like 40, 50 K. Yeah. And so yeah. if you have hundred K budget, you could basically give out two machines. Two machines. So Rob, you know, I mean, you've been involved in AI since the day I met you for the contrarians against AI because they exist. What, what do you see the biggest pushback from people who say AI is overrated, AI, blah, 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 or they even question sometimes how we define AI? In your line of work, have you gotten a lot of pushback into the application of AI in diagnostic radiology? And if so, what are these elements that they can test, can test against? I think, you know, the, um, any technology is going to be overrated if it overpromises. So it depends on what... Uh, AI seeks to do, and when when the buzz first came out, um, which certainly got my interest, it was making a promise. It was making a generalization that really was just too fanciful. the The reality is the human body is complex, and we say that all the time. And imaging is complex. But there are areas of simplicity within the imaging. Um, for example, the most complex part of imaging is the abdomen pelvis, where the bowel and the spleen, and for algorithms to solve that, that's like the final frontier. Kind of ironic, isn't it, that the that the large bowel is the final frontier, mm -hmm. whereas the brain is the um, low-lying fruit. You would have thought it would be the opposite. So nature plays a joke with us. Um, I think that if if you have to frame any technology, correctly. If you frame it as an enabler, that's useful. You're not going to get much pushback. If you frame it as, you know, radiologists are working at breakneck speeds, which we are, believe it or not, even though you can't tell from my countenance. And uh, if we just push it, pull you back from the abyss, your lives will be easier. I think that's really where the focus should be. The, the contrarian rises, like the phoenix, when tall claims are made. And in all fairness, uh, I mean, Prashant, I've known for a while, hasn't made any tall claims. Um, I mean, his claims have been rather industrial. We're just going to tell you normal and abnormal consolidation or cavities. And now to give you an example of where simplicity and simple claims works, um, I think as Prashant mentioned, there was a chap on our team um, uh, one of the Sherpas. He was, I think, the fittest. So, it, it, well, fitness, you were you were not the fittest, Saurabh. I was just going to say that if you created a fitness scale and had to put me in it, you'd have to create a logarithmic scale. Um, yeah. I was the slowest in the group. Even my son was exasperated by me by my slowness. I was an embarrassment. And my O2 sats of Frisier was 76%. Which is actually <laughs> about 10 times more than what I would well, have expected. What I normally <laughs> expected. I mean, if there was, if, if, the, if an ER physician was there, I would have been integrated instantly. Yeah. So this guy was very, very fit. 
And he also volunteered like all the others. Well, they didn't just volunteer. They said, I want to have an X-ray. And we ran his X-ray through AI. And just as other X-rays had been run, it was like normal, 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 normal. And yeah, I just checked them and made sure that I agreed with AI. I was like, yeah, agree, agree, agree. TB. Like, oh, shit. Because, you know, when somebody says TB, it's like this big burden on your head because now you have to say, right. well, you might have TB. You might need to go see a center. Then you have to report. It's just a pain in the ass. And then he laughs. He says, yeah, I had TB 10 years ago. And um, and and as a result of that TB, uh, he couldn't apply for a job in Dubai. But it just tells you the simplicity of AI. The beauty lies in simplicity is this guy is walking around. He had TB. He forgot about it. Everybody else forgot about it. And it gets picked up. Yeah. And so long as we, at least for the foreseeable future, stick to simple things, like, you know, even with the head trauma, the question is simple. Is there a bleed that requires neurosurgical intervention? We're not going complex. We're not saying, is this amyloid or is this a uh, neurocysticercosis or something like that? Is this is a bleed. Simplicity is often underrated by diagnosticians. I think we want to go for the kill. But some of our most basic questions are really very industrial questions. And AI can definitely help there. I mean, the return on investment when it comes to these low-hanging fruits in terms of the type of questions we're asking is amazing because they are so important. They're so practical. And you provide these examples, the the uh, you know the bleed versus not bleed, the pneumonia versus the pulmonary edema. Yeah, I do. I do get concerned, and I, that's probably my the last part of the the podcast or the segment. I do get concerned about the screening part. I think screening is such a hotly debated topic. My goodness, there are people that are probably going to go to war against each other about screening. And then you bring AI into the mix of screening, which for for all practical purposes, I would buy, here's what I would like AI to resolve for me when it comes to screening. If we decide on screening, if we decide on screening to start with, I want AI to tell me whatever whatever I pick up is something worth pursuing or not? Now, as you know, there are many people out there who say screening should not be done, period. Even colonoscopy should not be done. Mammogram should not be done. PSA should not be done. But that's for a different topic. I think if we decide that screening is being done and you pick up a lung nodule on a spiral CT scan, I want your technology, Prashant, to tell me, ignore, or go ahead and refer for a biopsy. Can you do that? So we can do that. I mean, see, theoretically, we can do that. But the reality is that uh, from a regulatory perspective, we are only, I mean, if you look at uh, US, Europe markets, right? We are only an assistive tool for a radiologist um, or for a maybe uh, a pulmonologist or an oncologist, right? But we can do that. We can say, this is a nodule. This is likely malignant. You should do a biopsy. Certainly, certainly we can tell you that. But then the final call has to be taken by a physician. We cannot, AI at this point is not um, authorized to take that call. And that's almost like uh, autonomous vehicles, right? I mean, you can theoretically have autonomous vehicles. I mean, a Tesla could do a lot of your work for you, but you still have to be in the driver's seat. And um, it's, I mean, again, the different different uh, fields, I mean, comparison is uh, not uh, exact. I mean, so obviously, uh, even, I mean, this the tasks that we are trying to solve require so much more skill than driving, right? I mean, this is something that takes 30 years of training. Um, you have to be 30, 
I mean, anybody who becomes a radiologist is already about 30, right? So it's something which um, requires a lot of training. But the idea is that it's not autonomous. It is not allowed to be autonomous, but it can take those calls. It can help a radiologist take those calls that this is potentially malignant. This is not, you should recommend a biopsy on an x-ray. It can tell you that this is potentially a malignant nodule. You should go and do a CT. So it can create those pathways. And that is why it is very useful. AI is useful because it scales, right? I can basically run this algorithm on every x-ray that is taken anywhere in the world. I could run it on every CT taken. And I could basically do that just by scaling up the servers on the back end, right? And it's, it's highly scalable, number one. Number two, it's very fast. The reality is that you can now run a scan within seconds, within minutes. So if you have this bleed patient with a bleed or an infarct, and you can, within a minute, identify that this patient needs surgery or uh, needs a thrombectomy or a thrombolysis, I mean, rule out a bleed for thrombolysis, you can all do all of that within a minute. And that changes the protocol for that patient. So think about the speed. Think about the fact that it's scalable and it can be on every, every device, on every scan, so that it can help alert and help radiologists become better. So those are, I think, two areas where it can be really very useful. So Rob, do you worry about uh, AI and screening from uh, from where you sit? No, I think I know what you're asking about the lung nodule. And um, essentially, in ROC terms, sensitivity is scalable. Specificity, it's more nuanced. Specificity varies from uh, individual to individual, from indication to indication. So sensitivity is the low-lying fruit just picking stuff up. So in terms of your wish list, I think AI is delivering the opposite, which is it's being extremely sensitive and leaving others to sort out the specificity. And I think that's kind of a diplomatic kind of ending or rather diplomatic agreement where my job is not to hunt for a needle in a haystack, but rather to give those needles that I've found in haystacks some meaning. And I'd be happy with that. Um, and also with regards to screening, you know, you've got screening for TB and you've got screening for colonoscopy. The thing to appreciate about TB is that if you want TB to be eradicated, which the WHO does want it to be eradicated, it becomes like a zero event. When anything is a zero event, as you know from your quality and safety days, you have to throw the kitchen sink at it. Um, so, you know, you're, it's why the zero COVID guys just, they'll never win because uh, it's just going to be so much more difficult. But TB is slightly different in that regard. It's been there for longer. So in that regard, in order to pursue a zero TB policy, which is what WHO wants by the end of 2035, you need to maximize your sensitivity and have specificity around the corner. And for that purpose, I think AI is absolutely perfect. It's as if it was invented for that particular region. I mean, if you want to say, who should we credit for AI? It's not vinyl coastal, it's mycobacterium tuberculosis. <laughs> well, well um, before I let you go, um, Prashant, uh, two questions. And then A, anything you would like to say that I may have forgotten to ask you? And B, where do you like to see your company in five years? Uh, no, I, I think I covered, I mean, covered, I think we covered most of the things um, we want to speak about. Um, so uh, definitely thanks for inviting me here. Thanks for all the very um, good questions about uh, our trip and what we do as a company. 
Um, in five years, I mean, see, I think uh, I tell everybody uh, that uh, we want to be a unicorn in terms of number of lives touched. We want to touch a billion lives. Uh, and that is our goal. And uh, five years, uh, I don't know if we'll reach there in five years, but that is what we want to get to. And hopefully we get there in five years. So. Saurabh, anything I forgot to ask you that you would like to comment on and where's your next trip? Yeah, actually, Prashant, now that you're here, I've got your attention. We need to, we need to chat about our next trip. No, I, actually, but... I like that. Let's decide on the next trip on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. That would be oh, great I, because I, I get more I... clicks. I get more clicks. Are, are you coming, Chari? Are you? Do you want to come to? Uh, I am. If you, if you have, if you, um, you know how uh, Sarab's uh, saturation was seventy six percent. If you divide that by half, that would be my saturation. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to make one point, Chadi. I think um, uh, one of the things that um, was great about our trip, which was called Project Kumbu, was that it was like a unique alliance between multiple people. So there was uh, me, there's me and X-ray, Cure, uh, and a lot of Nepalese physicians were also involved, um, local physicians. And so if you want to do something, in low middle income countries, you need a partnership. And that's kind of, you know, like that's a, that's not a terribly insightful thing to say, but it's something that is often forgotten. I mean, people go to these places and they want to take selfies and Instagrams, and that's all well and good. But if you want to achieve anything, you can't do that without getting stakeholders. And you certainly can't do that without tech. Tech is crucial. And tech gets a very bad name because of the whole farmer relationships and people get into their frenzy about that. But in reality, it's it's a partnership uh, and that we're kind of all on the same team. I know that's a cliche as well. We're all on the same team. And uh, you know, I think what we've demonstrated here is how to do this partnership, how to in, uh, combine uh, people from academia to people from government to, to industry um, and uh, to, to, their local, to their local physicians. I mean, we're all very instrumental. We even actually had a cameraman from Kashmir join us and he had a great time as well so it was a great trip i hope to yeah. do it again no that's great and prashant uh we can plan a trip to syria or to dubai and i will go for sure i can uh, i can arrange for you to meet a lot of uh, physicians and hospitals and um, we can all agree that it is under resourced country dubai i'm not really sure but you know i mean yeah. uh it's uh it's over resourced uh, country probably dubai dubai as a as a city or the uae but uh, yeah, it is something to discuss. So I'm looking yeah, for. I, I can go to the Middle East. We should do it in Syria. Absolutely. I'm I mean, more than happy to help arranging this. I'm serious. Yeah. And one good thing about the algorithm is that jihadi John can't decapitate him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the good news actually in Syria, Sorab's saturation will be okay. It's not really, you know, we'll, we'll take care of him there. Well, folks, thank you so much. This is really great. I really appreciate uh, for context. We are actually taping this on a Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, part of this is Saurabh and I have no lives. So we really have nothing to do on Sunday while Prashant is in London somewhere. And, uh, you know, let's see who Manchester United is going to play today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on today's podcast. I appreciate your help. I appreciate your loyalty. 
And thank you for all of the feedback and candor that you provide. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, refer your friends and colleagues to the show, and write a brief review about the podcast. It actually is very helpful and leads to many folks finding the podcast easier. You can watch all of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can watch them on my website, www.shadinabhan.com. Again, I appreciate everything that you are uh, providing. And don't forget to ask me for the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast t-shirt. I'm going to leave you with a saying from Louis Pasteur. Science knows no country because knowledge belongs to humanity and is the torch which illuminates the world. Science is the highest personification of the nation because that nation will remain the first which carries the furthest the works of thought and intelligence. Until next time, take care.